God, we acknowledge your worthiness today. Author, helper, maker, defender, uh, rock, hiding place. We also acknowledge that, um, that we were singing, uh, Are You Worthy? And there really are times we acknowledge in our heart that we, I, you know, Lord, I don't guess that we say, Oh, you're not worthy, but I think with our doubt and our fear and our worry, we are declaring that you're not enough. So hear us this morning as we acknowledge you are and you're worthy. And we praise you with our heart and our mind and our voices. Hear us. In the strong name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, we pray. And all God's people said, you may be seated. In case you don't know, my name is Bill Russell. And uh, I'm not normally up here. Pastor Ed is normally up here and has given me an opportunity to preach today, primarily, I think, because this is an incredibly difficult passage. And so what I think he was actually trying to do is to not be the lightning rod for all the things that would go wrong while I'm up here. So, Ed, thank you for the opportunity, and I hope they still complain to you. So, you know, I'm, I'm pretty excited. You need to know if you're a, a guest here, uh, there's kind of a game that normally is played between the person who is preaching and then the, the congregation, and that game goes something like this. You know, we ask this great, thoughtful, you know, deep probing question, and then your response, because we're up here, is just a nod. Yeah, and every now and then you make a facial expression or something. But it's actually not to respond. You guys probably think, well, that's, yeah, I mean, I'm not gonna respond. There's. Uh, a gazillion people in this room, and for those of you who are mathematicians, that's a really big number. So we're going to change it up a little bit this morning, and I'm going to take a risk, and the risk is I'm going to ask you a question. I actually want you guys to shout out an answer, and so I'm going to start with this idea first. For those of you who are visiting and you were hoping to come to take a nap, uh, be glad to know that after I summarize here, you can go right to sleep. This is the whole message that Peter's doing. So we've been going through the Endure series of 1 Peter. And his entire message here is to submit to every human institution. To submit to every human institution. Great, I'm done. So I'm going to go back down to my seat. I know that's not going to be satisfying. So here's the question. As soon as we say the entire message is about submitting to authority, what questions come to your mind? Whose authority? Awesome. What other questions? Define submit. Exactly what do you mean by submit? Let's talk HOAs for a second. Okay. So uh, what other questions might you have? Say again. Why? Why the heck am I going to submit? Okay. Any others? What if I don't agree? These are all great questions. Yeah, what if I don't agree with the authority? Uh, they can't always be right. And if they're not right, hey, we have all these heroes in history, and many of them, quite frankly, have been disobedient in some way. Anyone here, just curious, show of hands, anyone here ever heard of George Washington? <laughs> Only a few. Ah. Okay, well, George Washington was basically a traitor. Okay, but I thought he was a godly man. And how does that work? Rosa Parks? 
Martin Luther, you probably could give me another five or maybe even ten if you're a historian of, of fairly significant people that in some way disobeyed their authority. And so one of the questions that I think we also have to wrestle with, in addition to the who, what, when, why, and all that is, wait, what's this whole idea of civil disobedience? What if I don't agree, and what are the parameters to that? So we're going to read today's passage from 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 13 through 25. I'm going to ask everyone to stand up with me and, and read. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 13 through 25. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to the governors as sent by him, to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing, when mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if, when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if, when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, for you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. You can be seated. So, as I was uh, contemplating these verses, I was also uh, simultaneously doing an archaeological dig. You guys will be uh, glad to know that I was able to do that this week while preparing. And I came across a near perfect, perfectly preserved newspaper from AD 64. So if we could take a look at this together, it's the Nero-Roman Times. It was amazing. I was so excited to find this. I scanned this in and I wanted you guys to see it. This would have been exactly what Peter would have been dealing with at the time he's writing this letter. So I think we look at Peter's letter and we very quickly assume that, well, if, if he's writing this letter, Maybe he doesn't really understand the dynamics of all the situations around us today, or all the politics, or all the, the craziness. This is AD 64. This also would have been around the time that Paul was martyred. And this is when Peter's writing this letter. Last week's devastating conflagration of Roman buildings was the direct result of a growing sect known as the Way. Members of the Way, called Christians, refused to acknowledge or submit to Roman authorities. Eyewitnesses report seeing as many five Christians surrounding the Colosseum and three other key government buildings. Government crackdown expected. Some of you are going, that is not authentic. They did not have color printing then. <laughs> so just in case you're curious, no, it's true that this newspaper was maybe 
not authentic, but if you work at a museum, we can talk later. So this is the context in which we're operating. Peter is not a stranger to the craziness of society and everything else going around him. But when we get to today, I think the risk is we look at, look at our situation today, and, and maybe we say, A, it doesn't apply, or B, it does apply, and you know, I don't know what to do with this. So if, if it doesn't apply, you know, why are we here? But what is the current situation? I was a little disturbed. This is a real article from the Washington Post in March. I was a little taken aback. In America, talk turns to something not spoken of for 150 years. Civil War. This is from March 2nd. At a moment when the country has never seemed angrier, two political commentators from opposite sides of the divide concurred recently on one point that was nearly unthinkable. The country is on the verge of civil war. It was a disturbing article. I mean, just that kind of talk is already disturbing. But then I went out and I was trying to figure out, okay, what would the lines be? Like, we understand the, civil, the first civil war, what that would look like. What would the lines actually be of a civil war? I mean, it's not the north versus the south or east versus west. And I started looking at some of this, and what I found was actually a little disturbing. So I found another article that also talked about civil war, where the lines might end up being drawn, and that is, you know who's on one side of that? Christians. So there's a very disturbing groundswell of things that are happening where people are starting to say, you know, and, and they whittle the group down more than this, but you know where the, the tension is? It's those darn pesky Christians. That should be troubling to us because as can happen very, very quickly when people start talking like that, is you don't know how quickly those tides can turn. So what happens if the very ground we're on begins to shake? You know, where we think, okay, we live in a free America. Hey, praise God, we have freedoms. I can go to Bible study. I can go to church on Sunday. What if all those things begin to get challenged and I'm in a, in a government where all of a sudden my freedoms begin eroding? So this goes to, I think, the first point that we really need to acknowledge, and that is that we need to know your authority. Know your authority. So in 1 Peter, when he's talking about uh, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, what are we talking about by authority? Now, it's important to ask that question because what we may not have picked up on just a few verses earlier is in verse 9, Peter refers to us as a holy nation which is very cool, by the way. So he's trying to explain, look, your situation is a little bit different. So we might be here, but our citizenship is not here if you have put your faith in Jesus Christ. Your citizenship, once you become a believer, once you have said, I accept Jesus Christ as my personal Savior, your citizenship is in heaven. Now, all the things going on here, however, are very real, and very present. And so we still have to deal with it. I can't ignore that reality. But I also want to look at, okay, well, what was it like for some of these people throughout Scripture? What was it like when things were going on that didn't quite seem to line up 
with what their view of what God was doing. And I'm going to give you a couple examples because I'll tell you that often what happens in this kind of message is you get kind of the clear cut. Well, if you're asked to do something that is clearly contrary to the word of God, then it's, it's you know, at that point you just disobey the authority. And that, that's great. I like that answer. I wanted to give that answer. This card that Ed gave us a couple weeks ago, the religious pass. I, I could play that one. I love the uh, religious pass. I didn't like it completely though, and here's why. We have a number of examples in scripture that don't completely answer that for me. One of them is Daniel praying. So Darius declares, nobody can pray to any God except to me for 30 days. Daniel takes that as, hey, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go pray three times a day publicly. My window is going to be open, and I'm going to be facing Jerusalem, and I'm going to pray. I don't know if he was loud and proud or what was going on, but he is out there. People know Daniel's praying. And I can't help but ask the question, like, dude, you don't have a room somewhere you could go pray in? Like, are you trying to get struck by lightning? So, you know, what is going on here? What is the thinking? Now, in Daniel's case, that was his habit. You know, Scripture tells us that was his custom. Okay, so I could build a principle around, well, if I have a custom of serving God some way, then, then that would work. But that, again, that doesn't quite answer it. I get to Rahab in Hebrews 11. Rahab is honored because she hid two spies. See, Joshua is going to take Jericho, sends two spies into Jericho. Rahab sees them, hides them. Her officials come and say, hey, we think there are two Israelites that came in here, and uh, do you know where they went? She's like, I think they went that way. You better hurry up. I think they're getting away. And, you know, they fly out the gates and go after them, and meanwhile, they're upstairs hiding in her attic. I, I didn't see the direct mandate. Where was the direct mandate that she had to lie for them, hide them, do all this stuff? What gave her that right? And then how in the world do we get to Hebrews 11 where she's honored? We have Esther. Esther, you know, she's in a situation, Mordecai comes to her, her uncle, and says, hey, Jews are all going to get annihilated unless you intercede to the king. You need to go into the king's room and say, hey, dude, that's a rough translation, hey, dude, you know, you need to do something about this. She's like, wait, 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 you don't understand how this works. If I go in front of the king and I am not summoned, that's death. Now, there is a little footnote. Footnote is, if he extends his scepter, then I'm, I'm okay. But you need to know, it's not legal for me to go running in there and uh, demanding an audience with the king. But she chooses to do it anyway. So there are circumstances in history that demand it. So what's the principle? What are we working with? Well, I think in knowing our authority, what we have to realize is that first, our authority, our ultimate authority is God. Our ultimate authority is is part of a heavenly kingdom that we are submitted to. And when something is happening around us, which is impacting clearly our ability to serve the will of God, then I think, asking if it's appropriate to not obey that authority becomes legit. So we, we talk about knowing our authority. The next part is, well, submitting to every human institution. So submitting to every human institution 
is also a challenge because what in the world is that institution? What does it look like? Does that apply to my HOA? I would like to think no. So I did a deep dive. I didn't see HOA anywhere in the Greek. But what I did find was not terribly helpful in that it basically says any governing authority over me, I'm expected to submit. I do think there were probably some commentary notes or something. I didn't do a complete deep dive, but I'm pretty sure they did not cover things like speeding limits. But the reality is, for those of you wondering, that's still an authority. The reality is, if I'm going to submit to every human institution, though, I do need to give some parameters around things that just don't make sense. You could very quickly get into this debate of, well, okay, well, you work at company A and I work at company B. Can I come over and command your people? No, because you're not over top. There's a limit to that authority. What if that authority is, you know, a... I don't know, if it's a relationship authority, you know, for example, those of you who have uh, teenagers may have seen that get switched, where the teen all of a sudden thinks they have authority and you as the parent need to follow their lead. Not, that does not happen in our family, by the way, but I've heard it happens in families where the teenager would actually say, hey, you know, you need to do this, everyone else is doing it, and, you know, do we just submit? Obviously not. There are cases where submitting to authority doesn't make sense because the laws are out of date. I did some research, I had some fun with this. I thought you guys would appreciate this. There are several laws that were enacted that no longer make sense. Uh, you'll be glad to know in Mobile, Alabama, it is against the law to throw confetti or spray silly string. I mean, that's very specific. In seven US states, according to the Constitution, atheists are barred from holding public office, okay? In Arkansas, there still exists a law that was instated in the 1800s that states a husband is allowed to beat his wife, but only once a month. That led to an interesting conversation in our house. In Iowa, it is illegal for a man with a mustache to kiss a woman in public. Makes sense. In Virginia, it is illegal for a man to kick a woman out of bed. For those of you who flail in your sleep, I'm sorry. In Vermont, a wife needs a husband's permission to wear false teeth. <laughs> ah. In Kentucky, a woman cannot remarry the same man more than three times. <laughs> Whew. If you can't learn that one, anyway. In Pennsylvania, it is illegal to tie a dollar bill to a string on the ground and pull it away when someone tries to pick it up. <laughs> Come on, that's fun. I can't believe that's illegal. Some of these are crazy. In Missouri, it's illegal to drive with an uncaged bear. In New York City, it's illegal to honk your horn. I'm guessing that's not enforced. In Arizona, if you cut down a cactus, you could be sentenced to 25 years in prison. In Ohio, policemen are allowed to bite a dog if they think it will calm the dog down. that make it into law? In Arizona, if you're found stealing soap, you must wash yourself until the bar of soap has been completely used up. I am so glad some of these are not still enforced. The New York one in 
the horns might be interesting to still go. But anyway, so there are limits, okay? But unfortunately, those limits don't give us a carte blanche. And we talked a little bit about our citizenship is, is in heaven. Now, what that means is we have diplomatic immunity. So at the very foundation, if I'm going to talk about this theologically for a second, so another thing you'll learn when you're up on stage is if you say the word theology, people immediately nod off. But theologically, right, the way this works is my citizenship is in heaven, and therefore, because my citizenship is in heaven, I have diplomatic immunity. What that means is, in theory, the person I'm subject to is God. See, Jesus is my king, heaven is my kingdom, and his work that he's doing is what I want to be a part of, so every human institution plays a role here, but somewhat superficially. Now, I was doing some research this week also on an Arizona congressman, and I don't know if you've heard this story, but the problem with diplomatic immunity is it's very easy to abuse. So this Arizona congressman was traveling 97 in a 55 and was pulled over uh, by a police officer. Officer came up and uh, he said, I'm, I'm going to save you some time. I've got diplomatic immunity, which is, which is awesome because I... I know that there's probably more than one person in this room who's been caught speeding and it didn't go that way. So he then goes on. Now, of course, he got the whole body camera on, which is fascinating, right? So the guy's in there, he's playing it cool. Yeah, you know, yeah, sometimes I go 130, and in fact, I was going 130 back there, and the officer asked the question, wait, wait, are you saying you were going 130 miles an hour? Yeah, 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 130. Sometimes I do 140. 140, yeah, okay. So the officer's got to know the camera's going, so at this point, you know, I think he's engaging. And he's like, so you do that because you can? He goes, no, 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 I don't do it. <laughs> no, not because I can. I do it because, you know, my wife's making supper, I'm going to be able to eat. So, you know, sometimes it's got to go 130. Uh, okay. Well, I'm not going to argue with you on that, but that doesn't seem safe. So, you know, officer goes off script. How does that make you feel? Feels wrong, right? This person's got diplomatic immunity, and they're just waving it out there. So, see, as, as believers, we could take our diplomatic immunity to an extreme, and we could say, because of that extreme, I'm free. I can do what I want. But God actually calls us to submit to submit to every human institution. And, you know, it, with HOAs and things like that, it gets crazy. I mean, we got written up for birdhouses not uh, having been signed off on by all of our neighbors. If there's anyone from my HOA here, I love the HOA. You guys serve a very important role. Okay, so, so we need to know our authority. We need to submit to every human institution. But what is the direction we're given? And that is we are to live free as servants of God. Live free as servants of God. And we're given four direct commands. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. I did find it interesting that honor the emperor was last on that list. So what does it look like? Well, I have many instances in my life where I'm pretty sure I've done it wrong. Um, however, uh, there is one really cool instance which I want to share with you guys. And that was in uh, one of my friendships, a guy by the name of Big Bill. And Big Bill, 
was a drug addict who then became a Christian, put his faith in Christ, and we were meeting together for discipleship. I was very, very excited to be able to be meeting with him. Another guy named Larry, and you know, the three of us are all meeting each week and going through the Bible together. And after meeting for three or four weeks, uh, he comes up and he says, ah, I got to share something with you. Okay, cool. I'm, you know, I'm thinking hardship at work. You know, I don't know. There's got to be something. Maybe struggling with something. But all right, yeah, well, yeah. I have a bench warrant out for my arrest. Okay. I mean, I had no idea what to do with that. And unfortunately, I was young, dumb, and stupid, so that makes it easy for me to disobey the law and not even know what I was doing. But I began praying, Lord, you know, what am I supposed to do with this? I don't know what to do with this. And I felt very, very strongly what God wanted me to do is just invest in this guy, love this guy, and help him through what he was going through. So I acted like that was non-information, and I, we just kept meeting. And we kept studying the Bible together. And then, uh, you know, a few weeks went by, and all of a sudden, he just disappears from radar. I'm like, oh, I wonder what happened. So I call up his work. Yeah, he hasn't been here. If you find him, let us know. Great. Okay, so I track down. I eventually find where he lives. And I find him, and he's, you know, holed up in a room in a corner of a house somewhere. And, Bill, what's going on, man? Billy. I don't know why people want to call me Billy. But anyway, Billy. I need to turn myself in. What a cool moment. So he's ready to to turn himself in. So we go over to the courthouse together. We're going over to the courthouse together, and we're going to stop off for a final meal because I've I've heard that the food in prison is not great. We're going to get a good dinner. And then we had a meal that was probably worse than anything he was going to get afterwards. But so we go there. We finally get to the courthouse. We get in there, and we're talking, and he goes up to the officer and says, uh, I'm here to turn myself in. Female officer says, okay, can I have your driver's license? Yeah, what are you here for? I have a bench warrant out for my arrest, and yeah, I, I missed a, a court hearing, and okay, well, let me, uh, let me go get your information. She, she wanders off, comes back. I'm sorry, why, why are you here? So he explains once again. She disappears again, comes back. I, I'm sorry, when was the conviction, and when was your court date? So he gives that information, and she goes off, and she comes back. Ah. I don't, I can't actually even find the original arrest in the national computer system. I looked for your court data, I looked for everything, there's, there's nothing there, you're not in the national computer system. What? What does that mean? Go home. Wow. So after becoming a Christian, not only was his sin slate wiped clear, it was even taken off the national computer system. That's pretty darn awesome. <laughs> So that was pretty cool. So, but he eventually came around and he eventually came to submit. And it becomes a powerful story as he did that. So, you know, the, the challenge, of course, though, is that we want to live with some level of retribution when something's done against us. But that brings us to the last major point, which is that we're to live without retribution. Live without retribution. And so some of you will have wanted me to go in great detail about slavery and uh, uh, abolishing slavery. Ed's going to be preaching on that sometime soon, I believe, right? Ed? Okay. So I, what I will say is this, is that's not actually the context of this uh, passage. I know there's a lot of questions around it, but I think it's actually shown here, right? servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to do the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing when mindful of God one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. I think it was given as 
par excellence example of here's injustice. Even within the injustice, what is it about? What does it look like for us? And then the ultimate injustice of Jesus on the cross and what he suffered for us. See, it's a lot like a, a pot of boiling water. So in society today, if we think of society as a pot of boiling water, we look at that pot coming to a boil and we think, if society is the bubbles and the flame is what's heating it up, what do you guys normally do with water? I, I don't know about you, but in my house, you know, if, if I'm trying to get something heated up with water, I got the uh, thing that goes from low to high, and I'm looking for the setting that says inferno. And I want to be able to turn that knob all the way to inferno because there's got to be a way to make the water boil faster. And I think the danger in society today is there's so much contention. There's probably a list of three or four names. All we'd have to do is say those names and, and, and half the congregation would be like, there's so much contention. And it's like this pot of boiling water. And the flame is turned up and we see it all around us and we want to engage in the debate and somebody brings up, hey, what did you think about that Mueller testimony? Did you watch all seven hours of it? Yeah, yeah I sat at home with popcorn. There's so much debate, so much controversy, but what are we called to? What was Peter's response then? See, it's not to add the flame. It's not to go to inferno. It's certainly something different than that. See, I think what we're called to do is to be the glass of ice water, to be the calming agent, submitting to the Lord and doing it in such a way that people are rocked by our submission to God. Rocked by our submission to the authorities around us. Rocked by the fact that even though people are oppressing and are starting to encroach our Christian values, that we can respond with grace and love and honor. That's what we're being called to. So what's the hard truth? I know everybody wants me to answer all about all civil disobedience and slavery, the Revolutionary War, there's probably three or four hours worth of stuff. But what's the hard truth? We are called to endure the suffering of injustice. The key passage here is in verse 19. For this is a gracious thing, when mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you are Lord and God of all creation. We live in tumultuous times. We pray that we would be salt and light. We pray that you would help us to be refreshing as believers, Lord. That we would submit to you and that we would submit to our authority so people could see you working in our lives and want to come to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for coming. Remember to love your neighbor and know that God is crazy about you. Thank you.